Hey everyone, this is Pastor Andrew. Welcome back to the Tilcom Baptist Church podcast. Glad that you're here. Uh, this week we're on the second part of Psalm 105 and talking about the life of Moses and and obedience for the long haul that brings joy. And that sounds like an awful heavy topic. It's because it is. And I was really thankful that you know, God allowed me the opportunity to think through some of this and to just be able to give uh, some vision for where we're going as a church and also thinking about, you know, just how we're applying God's word in this area of obedience. Because if we're honest, obedience to God's word is difficult and it comes at a cost, just like faith. Like last week I talked about faith takes risk to have confidence in something that you haven't seen happen yet. So obedience, it comes at a cost, and the, and the reward is that we get to rejoice as we, as we walk with God. But it's not always easy, it's not always fun, and so it is something that not everybody does really well or tries to do really well sometimes. So I'm hoping you'll be encouraged by this. And it also includes my communion meditation, so if it seems an extra little bit long, that's why. And uh, feel free, if you're in a space, to partake in communion, to do that, to ready your heart and, and, uh, and take communion. But uh, just know that uh, we are here, we're on socials, Facebook, Tillicum Baptist Church, email, Baptist at gmail.com. And we are going to be launching some new ministry in January, so keep a lookout for that on our website, tillicumbaptist.com, and also I'll be announcing more of that on the podcast to come. So enjoy this uh, sermon, and have a blessed day. Psalm 105, verse 23 through 45, Israel also came to Egypt, thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and he caused his people to be very fruitful and made them stronger than their adversaries. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his wondrous acts among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark, and he did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came a swarm of flies and gnats in all their territory. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He struck down their vines also and their fig trees and shattered the trees of their territory. He spoke, and locusts came, and young locusts even without number, and ate up all vegetation in their land, and ate up the fruit of their ground. He also struck down all the firstborn in their land, and the firstfruits of all their vigor. Then he brought them out with silver and gold, and among his tribes there was not one who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them and had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to illuminate by night. They asked and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and the water flowed out and ran into dry places like a river. For he remembered his holy word with Abraham his servant and he brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout he gave them also the lands of the nations, that they might take a possession of the fruit of the people's labor, so that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. So glad to be here with you today. And, you know, we're going to be in the second part of this psalm. And I think that after last week, just... There was a lot of joy and a lot of anticipation of what God is continuing to do here 
in our church and in us, and and so really happy for that. So I wanted to ask you guys though, if you have ever heard of this book, it's called Do Hard Things. It's by Brett and Alex Harris, and the full title actually is Do Hard Things: A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations. Hmm. It's this message that the Harris twins they share what what is very compelling. It's been a while since I read it, but I really enjoyed it. It gives you a glimpse of what is possible for teenagers who actively resist cultural lies that limit their potential. See, it combats the idea that adolescence is a vacation from responsibility. The authors weave together biblical insights, history, and modern examples to redefine the teen years as the launching pad of life and map a clear trajectory for long-term fulfillment and eternal impact. So what does this mean if you're not a teenager? <laughs> because we've got a few here, but majority of us are past that time. Um, you know, last week we talked about Abraham's faith, and we, and we talked about how God's faithfulness instills faith in us to have confident hope and belief to take risks that display his glory to others. And this week, we're going to be talking about the second half of this song, which really highlights Moses, and really highlights this idea that, uh, that God takes his people through hard things to be able to find, find a place of rejoicing as we obey him. And, uh, and so the outcome of... of uh, obedience is rejoicing. Now that might sound like a tall order, but the reality is, is that there was a there's a lot of scripture we would go over the life of Moses that that shows us um, that the Israelites weren't necessarily obedient, right? But this psalm is focusing on on God's faithfulness, and and then he says like, hey, you know, like I took that. we like they were taken through this trial. Um, but God, he was the one who was ultimately faithful. And so we'll get into that a little bit too. The three, the, the thing is that Moses was an amazing leader, right? And, and even at the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12, has this to say. It says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face who did all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, that sounds like a pretty amazing commendation. And, uh, and I think that, you know, as we think through the Old Testament, it's, it's a pretty accurate assessment that Moses, he had a very, from what's described in scripture, just a very close, intimate relationship with God and seeing the presence of God um, move all around him and, and direct him and guide him and the whole people of, of Israel. But the reality is, is that we know that, that Moses wasn't, isn't the ultimate, right? Moses is a leader who was pointing towards somebody else. And, and so today, we'll, we'll, we'll get there, but the three main points that I want to cover with you today is that God leads his people into hard places, that God has a rescue plan, and that God's faithfulness is what brought his people through hard things to be able to rejoice and obey him. You know, like I said, even in their own unfaithfulness, God brought them through. So... We'll get started here with with the passage of Psalm 105, 23 through 25 uh, that Cameron just read. Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts turned to hate his people to conspire against his servants. So they were, here's what happened. They, they came after the, the the famine that Joseph had led everybody through, and they came and settled in Egypt. And then they were fruitful and multiplied. 
Which, if you look at the book of Genesis, is a huge theme, right? God, he says in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply. So they are following the mandate. But then they, we know that they become oppressed. They become a, a people in slavery. They, they become a national security threat, as it will, to Egypt, right? There's so many of them that God, he turned their hearts, the hearts of the Egyptians, against his people. Now, this is a good spot for us to be reminded that God is not responsible for evil. He's not the author of evil. That everything that's ordained in God's plan doesn't, it, it's not a coercion on, on our part, that we are responsible for our actions. See, these Egyptians were responsible, they, they saw something, and the way they interpreted it was hate, was to, to hate them, to, to want to kill them. And, it's, and exactly that's what happened, is that Pharaoh, he orders an infanticide of, of Hebrew boys, right? So it says in, in Exodus 1.15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during the childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and made the people increase and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he, made, he, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. See, this is what the devil tries to do, right? He, he doesn't he tries to destroy, he steals, he kills. Because that's his tactic, that's his plan. And uh, the reality is, is that we're gonna stand up in the midst of the devil's schemes, like Shifra and Pua, and show obedience. And I think their obedience brought them joy. He gave God gave them families, right? There was there was joy because of their obedience. It was hard, but God still did it, right? It was hard for them to endure, but God still helped them. So the reality is, is you, you see, if you're in this, uh, you see the picture is really, you know, really grim, and you wonder, what does this mean for an entire generation of Hebrew men, Hebrew boys? Well, we get to the story of Moses. And God, he has a rescue plan, right? And he is incrementally, he's, he is moving Moses from being caught in the reeds, in a, in a basket made of reeds, in the, in the water by the, the house of Pharaoh, brought in, and his own sister says, hey, I'll help you find the, the wet nurse, and brings in his mother. And God allows him, and, that, and, and back then, you know, Children, they nursed until they were four or five years old sometimes. Um, and so that would have been a time where his mother could have sown godly influence and love. And, you know, you, you think about that, like God, he was in it the whole time to call Moses, right? But Moses, he kind of gets, I, I would say that Moses, he kind of gets ahead of himself. Um, he gets ahead of himself a little bit in that, sorry about that, we'll read, we will read that, in that he, um, he goes and kills an Egyptian slave master who he sees mistreating a Hebrew slave and, and he buries him. And then the next day, right, he's, he's talking between a, a, a two fellow Israelites who are fighting and they said, what are you gonna do, kill us? So he knows the jig is up, right? He's got to get out of town. And so where does he go? He's, he settles in Midian, and he's a shepherd, um, and he has a family, and he just kind of hunkers down there, right? That's, that's, he's, he's a 
he's one, he's a wanted man, right? So fortunately though, that wasn't the end of the story. You know, that God, this verse, just the psalm is so beautiful. He sent Moses' servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark, for they had not for had they not rebelled against his words? He turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their lands teemed with frogs, which went up into the bedrooms of their rulers. He spoke, and there came swarm of flies and gnats throughout the country. He turned their rain into hail, while with lightning throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, grasshoppers without number. They ate up every green thing in their land, ate up the produce of their soil. Then he struck down all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their manhood. He brought out Israel, laid them with silver and gold, and among them, among, from among their tribes, no one faltered. Egypt was glad that they left because the dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought them quail, and he fed them well with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed like a river in the desert. So Moses. He's out in Midian, and you know we're we're seeing we get to we like I said last week we get the benefit of knowing the whole story, right? But Moses he's out in Midian doing his shepherd gig, and he comes upon this bush. It's not any bush; it's a burning bush, and not only is it burning, but it's not going up in smoke, right? Like like you would expect. And so he's like, "This is weird. What's going on here?" He goes to investigate. And, and God, he says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, I'd take my shoes off, but it would look really funny here, and it would take a lot of time, I promise. Um, but God, he, 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 encounters, he goes and shares this message with Moses. And Moses, he has this encounter with the living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't take long before God tells him what the mission he has for Moses' life is, which is to uh, go and be his mouthpiece, help free the people of Israel. I wonder if you've ever had an experience where God's presence was so tangible in your life that he shared something valuable with you to be able to give you joy for the journey ahead. See, when I was 14, I went to a camp, and I was a counselor in training, and it was for like third through fifth grade kids. And at the beginning of the week, the camp director said, hey, I want you to pray for two things this week. One, that God would change kids' lives, and two, that God would, would give you um, a heart for service, and that you'd ask him how how he wants you to use your life for him. So I did both of those things, and by the end of the week, um, you know, I I talked with the camp director, and I said, you know, I really feel like sharing God's word and 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 sharing the gospel and and really seeing kids respond. That's what I want to do with my life. That's what I feel like God wants me to do, and. Then, you know, as, as I got a little bit older and mentored by people, God just seemed to continue to confirm that calling. But I wonder if you've experienced something like that. And what, what, did, you, what did you respond with? Did you ever feel unequipped? Because Moses sure did. He says, you know, God says, you're going to go and do this. And, and the Lord, he says, wait, no, 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 I'm not a good speaker. I don't have all of things that, that you need to do this job, like I don't qualify. Then the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses, he said, and I don't know, if I was talking to a burning bush, if I'd be arguing with it, but Moses, he's got guts, right? Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against him. That's Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? 
I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help you both, help both of you speak, and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. Woo! I don't know. I think Moses just put on a lot more responsibility on him than if he had just gone and obeyed God, right? Because, as we know, uh, Moses, you know, we, we know the story that Moses, he ends up doing a lot more of the leading after they're out of Egypt. Um, that the reality is, is that sometimes we don't feel equipped, but God, he, if he has a mission for you and he's told you what that is, he gives you some clarity, he will equip you with the gifts that you need. He will equip you with the people that you need. And I firmly believe that. I've seen it over and over again in my life. But Aaron, Aaron, he is, I wonder, you know, because of, Moses, because of the stubbornness of Moses and, and the fear that he has, if Aaron, he's more of a liability than an asset. I mean, you look at later, after they're out of Egypt, he erects the golden calf. His sons, Nadab and Abihu, they, they light some strange fire in the tabernacle, and then, he, then God kills them. Moses, Moses, and you want to talk about family stuff, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, they all have a jumble of family stuff going on. You see it, you read the, if you read the whole story, you get to see that. But that's not where you're going today. Aaron, he didn't... He didn't just, you know, there wasn't just some bad things, but there's some good things actually that happened through Aaron. Is that God established the priesthood through his line, and that the priests, they were ordained to lead the worship and honoring of God through daily worship in the temple, in the tabernacle, and through, um, through ceremonies and festivals that God ordained. And, you know, this is something that, you know, was really important. These priests, they served to be a to be a, a image bearer of what God called Israel to be, which was a mediator of grace to the nations. You see, in Exodus 19, 5 through 6, he says, God says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and holy nations. And the holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God prepared them to be a kingdom of priests. He pre there's the, the priesthood is an image of what Israel is supposed to be to the nations, which is the mediators of God's grace to the world and sharing the covenant, right? Sharing God's covenant. So Back, back into action, Moses is in Midian, has the burning bush, Aaron arrives on the scene, and they're going to go back to Egypt. It's going to be the grand finale, right? Everybody keeps posting something on Facebook that's like, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait to see what the grand finale of 2020 is. Now, don't get me started there, because I don't think any of us want a grand finale. This year has been quite enough for all of us. But they're on, they're on to something. They're going to go, and they're going to challenge the most, one of the most powerful men in the world. How's that for a challenge? You go step up. So, once again, though, God, He demonstrates His power over, um, over Egypt, and He He does this through the plagues, right? Every time they go to say, hey, "Let our, let, let, let the people go," and they say, "No, no, we're going to do a new a new plague," right? So God is demonstrating his power over Egypt, who, to be honest, if you look at Egypt when it's referenced at any time in Scripture, it's not a good thing, okay? It's not a good memory. It's not a good future, because there are there is a going back to Egypt that happens, right? And and so we've got to realize that God, he's going to overcome this power and this system of, of idolatry, and sin against him that is seen in the nation of Egypt. God, he is warring against these false gods. See, all of the, all of the plagues 
the, the blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the animals that died from disease, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, the death of the firstborn. You know, these are all, all signs that God is using to, um, to judge Egypt and to say, look, there's, there's some of these things like the Nile, you know, there, there is a belief of divinity, of gods that protected it, and God says, no, I'm, I'm over all those gods. They're not true. I'm the one true God. So these, these plagues were used as signs to display judgment over false worship. And, and uh, you know, it's really interesting because in the psalm, actually, uh, there's only seven, uh, there's only seven uh, plagues that are mentioned. And he starts with the plague of darkness. He said in verse 26, He sent darkness and made the land dark, for have they not rebelled against his words? You know, darkness, the, the moral darkness that was there, the physical darkness that God he put over the land. He turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, which went up to the bedrooms of their rulers. I don't know about you, but I've heard frogs coming up in my bedroom. I had always been ready to let those people go. But no, they still refused, right? He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats through their country. He turned their rain into hail with the lightning throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and locusts came, grasshoppers without number. They ate every green thing in their land and ate up the produce of their soil. And he struck down the firstborn and all the first fruits of their land. He starts with darkness, and he ends with this reminder of the death of the firstborns. And this would call to mind for any person who is a worshiper of the one true God, the origin and the significance of Passover. See, the Passover at first was a meal that was, antici was in anticipation of God's judgment. And blood had to be put over the doorposts so that the Lord would pass over those homes. See, it's a foreshadowing, it's a little dark, it's foreshadowing of things to come in Christ. And we'll partake communion today um, to be able to you know, be reminded of that sacrifice that it costs. But Passover was always a time in the in, in Jewish in Jewish culture, and still is, where they are reminded of this time where God rescued them. God rescues His people, and then they leave Egypt because the dread of the Egyptians is on them. Upon them, and uh, you know, Exodus twelve thirty six says, "The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. God provided. They were obedient. They did this thing, the celebration that they had never done before, this feast that they didn't have. They put the blood on the doorposts, and then finally they were allowed to go. It seemed right." And God gave them what they needed for their journey, the, the, the materials. But, you know, he, he also was with them after, right? He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. And they asked, and he brought them quail. He fed them well with, with the bread of heaven. Now, that should ring a bell, that phrase, bread of heaven. Jesus talks about himself. In that way, in John chapter 6, God, he opened the rock and water gushed out and flowed like a river in the desert. See, God, his faithfulness brought them through hard, a hard thing. And it continues to bring us through hard things. Because, you know, in a minute here, we'll see what that purpose was. But God, he remembered, in verse 42, he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. 
He brought his people with he brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands and the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. See, God, he remembered his promises. Not only did he remember his promises, but he remembered his holy promises. Because God is not a man that he should lie, right? Amen? We know that. But he didn't just keep his promise to some, you know, it wasn't just a contract. It wasn't just some sort of like, hey, sign the line and, and we'll get it done for you. He remembered it to a person, to Abraham. Right? He remembered it to Abraham, to Abra to the covenant that he made with Abraham. And he continued to walk with these people, to covenant with them, to be, uh, to be with them, even when they were whining. Right? Even when they were needy, even when they didn't express uh, things very well to God. And even when they sinned, God remembers his promises. And God, just like he brought them through hard things, he still brings us through hard things. Sometimes, you know, I get the question of why does God let bad things happen to people? And I'll be honest with you, it's not an easy answer. I think one of the biggest answers that I've come to is because it's through hard things that we grow. If you go around hard things, or under them, or over them, you miss out the opportunity of the growth that goes in them. And that doesn't make them any less hard. All of us have things in our life that we've gone through that are hard. And God, he doesn't take us through hard things just to teach us some lesson, okay? I don't believe that. I think that that's cruel, if that's true, right? That would be cruel. I think God allows us to go through hard things because it draws us, it should draw us closer to him. If our hearts are towards him. And I know sometimes it pushes people away. But God is faithful to us. He is faithful even when we're not. Because he can't disown himself, right? That's what I'm getting at here is that, you know, it's really hard to trust this, but um, Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I really believe that is something that has to be true of our life, is that we need to have a long obedience in the same direction, and our obedience in the direction we go to is, is towards God. And the way that we know what that direction is, is by his word, and the way that we're held accountable and, and brought into that space where we can continue to go is by having people He's made his body for that. He's made us for that. To be able to go through hard things together. Because if you're going through something hard today and you haven't told somebody about it, chances are nobody knows. Right? Because we, we're not mind readers. People can't read other people's minds. And so I would challenge you in your daily conversation, you know, like that you have, when people ask you, how are you doing? You know, if they're a safe person, and they're a person that you feel comfortable with talking to, say, what are you really thinking? Instead of, I'm doing fine, I'm doing okay. Because there's so many days where, to be honest, I go through this of like, oh, I'm doing fine, I'm doing okay. But there's things inside of me that I am, prayers that I'm asking God to uh, answer. There's anticipation of just where is this world going? There's all these things that are inside of us. But we gotta reach out, not only to other people, but to God in these hard things, because he'll bring us through. And then, you know, the end of this song, Psalm 44 through 45 
seems really simplistic in its retelling of Israel's uh, exploits in the promised land to get there. You know, that, that uh, the point of this psalm, though, is to, is to reflect God's faithfulness and the faithfulness that God has to his covenants. See, if you want all the nitty-gritty stuff about what it took to get from uh, from the from the opposite side of the Red Sea, where they had accomplished where they had accomplished uh, walking through the the bottom of the sea, and then Pharaoh's army gets swept away, and then they rejoice. You know, like they are rejoicing, they are so happy. If you want to get from that point to when they actually get into the Promised Land, you got a lot of reading to do. You got a lot of reading in your Bible to do. I mean, or you can read Psalm 106 because it highlights a lot of a lot of stuff that happened. But it seems like as soon as they get on the other side of the Red Sea, away from the armies of Pharaoh, they rejoice, they praise, they sing this great song, and then they get back, right back to saying, but it was way better in Egypt. You know, the examples, you know, that Psalm 106 gives in verses 13 through 14, but soon they forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert, they gave into their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to test. They were they were daydreaming about how much better it was. We ate so much more, so many more pots of meat back in Egypt. Yeah, but you're also a slave. You're also beaten. You're also made to make bricks without straw, right? I mean, you had all these hard things in your life, and and I just think that you know often that's what happens sometimes in church, right? Is that we're like, I remember back when there were this many people. Or I remember when it seemed like people used to be more accepting of Christian values. And, and those are all true things. And those are all good things. And I think that God, he did what he meant to do in those times. But to some extent, you know, daydreaming about the past doesn't help us in the present, and it won't help us get somewhere in the future. You know, the second example of things that the, that the Israelites did was they created false idols. At Horeb, in verse 19 and 106, they said, At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glory for an image of a bull which eats grass. They exchanged the glory of God for something that was a lie. See, we are all worshipers. We all worship something or someone. Now, the way that you do that is by, and by knowing what it is, by what you give your priorities to. What do you give your time to? What are you giving your money to? What are you giving your thought to? It could be a hobby. It could be a relationship. It could be a material possession. Or it could be a job. Because there are all these, I call them, little G-gods that are competing for your time and your space. And they want to take, it away, take away your thought and your intention, your purpose from the one true God. And maybe the little G-god that you struggle with is comfort. I want to feel comfortable. Because God, he wants us to trust him, to obey him, so that when we come to the fruit, we see fruit there, we can rejoice. And the third thing they did, that the Israelites did, was that they, they followed the customs of other nations by, by sacrificing their sons and daughters to demons, by rebelling against God. I mean, all of these evil things. And, and we think so much, like, you know, that's so evil. You know, there's, there's so many examples of these evil things. And we, can all, we don't have to look very far outside of our own spaces, even to our own TVs, right, to see that there's evil. And that a lot of people who call themselves Christian in name are embracing the culture. And they're embracing the values that don't have a biblical basis. And so we got to watch our life and watch our doctrine closely 
we have to when we see things that are that are starting to look funky you have to do the the, the right thing which is you know to um, we, we need accountability and and so you need to have people in your life who are continuing to point you to the word you need to have if you know it's in the church we have leadership who shares like concerns and if there's concerns we want to face those head, head on because we want to be faithful to God and his word because obedience brings rejoicing and I will be honest with you last week I was so full of joy when people came up to grab their bricks and, and I felt like the environment the atmosphere that we had here was one of not just singing but of worship that there was an experience that we had that we took away together where we came here with an anticipation that we would meet God and an anticipation that we would get to be in his word and that we'd get to be with one another. And I pray and I hope that every week that we continue to come with that anticipation. And much of that is is just it's not contingent on, you know, did I like the songs this week or was it was it a good message? It's it's did I prepare my heart for that before I got here? And so I am just so encouraged by that because maybe we're starting to get to know more of the songs together. And maybe we're starting to you know, really just click more. But I just felt like God was directing and guiding us in every moment last week, which is what we need. Because the thing that we need, much like the Israelites needed, what we need the most is God's salvation. Because when we have God's salvation, we're empowered to live a godly life. He gives us strength and the joy to go through trials. You're not alone, right? You have the comforter. You have the Holy Spirit with you. You have God moving with you every moment. And, and just like God remembered Abraham, he remembers you. You see, it's no insignificant thing. For the God of the universe to remember each one of us individually. Because when I think about it, there's, in my mind at least, there's a lot more important people to remember than David Cruz. When I think about it, I don't feel very important in the grand scheme of things, which might be a good thing because, you know, I'm not. But that God, He remembers each and every person. And not only does he remember you, but he sees you. And like we talked back a couple of weeks, he doesn't just see you, you know, from what everybody else sees, but he sees you for who you are in your most vulnerable space. And he loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be intimately, he's already involved in your life, but he wants that intimacy and involvement to be, um, to be something that we desire as well. So, before we prepare ourselves for receiving communion today, I want to just give you a few ideas of how we can apply this scripture. And I apologize if it seems like I've been going all over the place, but there's just something that I felt in preparing this message this week that we just need to move into a space of rejoicing with as we obey God. And so I would challenge you that if you can think of a thing or a reason or how you're um, praising God, that you would feel comfortable to write that down on a blue card and put it in the offering plate. Because we want to rejoice with you. And if you're not rejoicing today, I'd actually challenge you to write that down too and say, not rejoicing, but holding on to hope. Not rejoicing right now, but trusting God. Because it's okay if you're not feeling like rejoicing. Just continue with the obedience part. And I think that a lot of times the joy catches up 
because we get because sometimes we get to see the fruit of our obedience. Secondly, I want you to think about what role you play as a part of God's kingdom of priests. Now, you know, First Peter two nine, it says, "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him." who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So what are you doing that declares the praises of God with your life, with your actions, and your words? I don't expect an answer. I don't need anybody to raise their hand or anything like that. But I just want you to think on it this week. And third, I don't want us to oversimplify the process that it takes for lasting obedience to make a change. Because, like I said before, Psalm 105, it very, it's a very simple uh, you know, explanation of what happened as the Israelites were taking possession of the promised land. Because change isn't easy. It's not easy for anybody. And, and I think that you know, we have to recognize that change is necessary because, like last week, if we're going to step out in faith and take a risk to be obedient to God and what he's empowered us and gifted us for and given us joy to do, then it's going to take some change. And it's going to require us to be open to that. So this is what I hope for that we don't do. <laughs> Number one, that, you know, that we don't grumble that we don't daydream about the past. We honor the past. We thank God for what he's done. And we, and we, we work together to find a vision and dream of what God, can continue, what God is continuing to call us to. Okay? And we don't want to minimize that we need God. We need him to fully empower us if we're going to grow spiritually and in number. We, we can't we, we can't discount that it's going to be fully God doing all of it. But he wants us to, like I said last week to take that risk, to take that step of faith to, to move forward. What I do hope for us that we must do is that we must um, stay united by having honest conversations. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I is that we are not married to any ideas right now, which is a good place to be. Um, it gives us the opportunity to talk about honestly whether or not the ideas and, and processes that we come up with are good. And you know, we want to hear from you about how can we do better as a church? Why do you want to, why do you keep coming? Why do we exist? How do we keep moving forward? We want to have those honest conversations because only in honesty and transparency can we move forward in unity. We want to be open to building relationships in our church body and outside of our church body to be able to influence people for Christ. And I gather that, you know, all of us here have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd also say that, you know, it's good for us to come together and spur each other on in love and good deeds, right? That's what we want to be a part of here. And then we must devote ourselves to praying and praising together as we fight the spiritual battle together. Because prayer and praise... They're not just activities that this church does or programs. It's the, it's the weapon of spiritual warfare that we use, and, and we are founded on God's word to do that, to say, hey, we are going to pray for lost souls in our community. We're going to pray for people who wouldn't normally find themselves coming in through a door on Sunday to come here. We're going to pray for some opening of people's gifts and joy to be able to 
uh, birth new things. And maybe that will come over a long period of time, and maybe we need more people. And so the prayer is, God, just send us the right people. You know, one of the things that we want to do that I set out, you know, like after, like I like these job descriptions for is to bring a youth intern and a worship intern that could live up in the in the missionary apartments that would help us to uh, assist in reaching out to the neighborhood and then leading worship because I know I know what my limitations are. I'm not the greatest guitar player up here. I know that. But I don't want to. I don't want to leave anybody feeling like they have to do it themselves. What, whatever we do, to be a partnership of our body, and I want to partner with you in it because I want to pray for you. I want to walk with you. I want to learn with you because I know I don't have all the answers, but I want to do this with you. And God, he wants to take us through the hard things so that we can rejoice at the obedience in the long direction. So thankfully, God has provided one of the most incredible ways that we can display unity and obedience by giving us the command of the Lord's Supper. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, the Apostle Paul, he wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this blood, bread, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to have the bread and the juice uh, given out, and then we're going to we're going to have a short instrumental here, and after that, take some time to pray and meditate on uh, on this time of communion, and then I'll come back up and we'll take it together and pray, and then have our final song. So the ushers would come forward and we'll do that. Thank you. 